last few weeks, both here in our Sunday sermons and also uh, throughout the week in our Bible studies, which we put out on Facebook and YouTube, uh, we've been talking about the Psalms. Now, the way that we have structured those conversations is by utilizing the categories suggested by Walter Brueggemann in one of the essays he wrote in the early 1980s. And what he said was, we can categorize the 150 Psalms that make up the Psalter under uh, three headings. The Psalms of orientation, and these are like the, the core testimonies of Israel's faith. They proclaim the character of God. They proclaim who God is, the attributes that, that God has. Also, they celebrate some of the past acts within um, the history of the world, really. We've got creation, we've got the Exodus, these huge redemptive moments in the life of Israel, the, the sort of non-negotiable tenets of Israel's faith and the core testimony surrounding those things, which in the minds of an ancient worshiper would have been uh, non-negotiable. This is just how the world is. It's orderly. It is good until it's not. And then that sort of elicits a more emotional response from psalmists that raise a lament or a petition. These are what Brueggemann refers to as the psalms of disorientation. Uh, things that kind of push against what the core testimony says about who God is and how the world works because what they find is uh, enemies surrounding their homes and sickness invading their bodies and sort of the things that they thought uh, were how the world worked, they weren't working for them in that moment. So it, it elicited this, this petition, this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And then in the Psalms, we also have these... Uh, individual prayers that are thanksgivings. Brueggemann refers to these as the Psalms of reorientation because the lament has been heard and God has intervened and something has happened. The enemies have been defeated. The sickness has been healed. And now the psalmist finds themselves within the community of the followers of God and raises their thanksgiving, not only to fulfill a vow to God, but for the community to hear and for the community to benefit from the story that they utter. Uh, one scholar, in fact, says that there's one element never missing from the Thanksgiving Psalms, and that is the narrative of the one offering thanks. This is where I was, and this is what I prayed, and this is what God did, and now we should all together give thanks. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been focused not on those prayers, but we've been focused on the psalms of disorientation, the psalms of lament, because we have found ourselves in really strange times. And for a lot of us, we've been attempting to process our own feelings, and I thought that a healthy way into that would be to think about the lament psalms and the protest psalms, if you will. But now... After a few weeks of, of, of going in that direction, I'm wondering how long as a community do we lament together? Now, I want to be clear here. I don't want to rush anyone uh, beyond where they are. If you find yourself like still deep in that moment, then hear what I'm about to say, but don't feel any pressure to leave from that place. Uh, there's no wrong feelings that any of us are having in this moment because it's 
extenuating circumstances and it's draining, especially for some of our first responders or some of our medical professionals. Like these are really trying times for you as you, you may be thinking about how you place yourself in harm's way all of the time. And even some of our uh, essential employees that are still going out to public places, perhaps there's thoughts in your mind that are difficult for you to reconcile. And I don't want to rush you beyond that. A couple days ago, Marie was telling about how her and her roommate just drove out to the middle of nowhere, found an open field and wandered into the middle of it and then just started screaming uh, for therapy, more or less. She recommended that if we need to find a field and, and to scream. And to be honest, sometimes I have found myself very close to wanting to do just that. This, as many of you know and, and can sympathize with, uh, being at home and having to figure out what it looks like has been taxing to say the least. And when you combine different personality types and different needs within your own home, it becomes even more difficult. So I think that this is beginning to catch up with Abram and Jude, my six and four-year-old sons. And I think that this is beginning to catch up with how Kate and I are parenting Abe and Jude and, and all of the needs that are uh, not being met or that we are attempting to meet while maybe neglecting our own. And, and for a, a little bit of time this past week, I found myself on the stairs, on my knees, kind of tipsying back and forth between uh, anger and extreme sadness and fearing that I might be having a mental and physical and emotional and spiritual breakdown. And all I wanted to do for my introverted self was just go and be alone in a coffee shop somewhere with a book, but that was impossible. And it was difficult to figure out how to manage all of those feelings. And perhaps for me, another lament would not be helpful. Uh, also a few days ago, Scott texted a, a group thread that, that we're on together and he said, you know guys, I am choosing to be positive today. And Scott, I don't think he would mind me sharing this, kind of goes back and forth between like how angry he is at what's going on and I want to be positive today. Because if you know anything about the Enneagram, Scott is a hard seven. He's an extrovert of extroverts and he just wants to be near people and hug them and smile and laugh and have a great time. And that is also something that Scott is not able to do in this moment. But on the thread, he says, I'm choosing to be positive today. And maybe for Scott, another lament would, would send him towards unnecessary negativity. And as a pastor, I'm trying to figure out what it is that all of us need in this moment. And perhaps what we need is a word of reorientation. Perhaps what we need is, is a thanksgiving. Perhaps what we need is a testimony or a story. Perhaps what we need is one of those mindless memes that we've been posting on our Slack thread or that you've seen on Facebook about if you're in quarantine, which house would you want to be in? The house on the, on the ocean or the house with a huge library or the house in the mountains, like these sorts of things. Or if there's nine fast food restaurants and you can only pick three that you'll eat for the rest of your life, which ones would they be? And we start having these moments where we just feel human because we're not thinking about all of the stuff that's going on outside of our homes or the stuff that we're dealing with at our jobs. And for a second, we're thinking about, yeah, I think I would like to hang out with, with Ross 
Geller for a little bit of time in that friend's quarantine house. That sounds good. We just want to feel human again. We just want something to give us some hope. And this is what Psalm 116 does. In fact, this is what all of the Psalms of Thanksgiving do, primarily because they've been through the lament, they've been through the disorientation, and they have moved to reorientation. And the way that they do that is by retelling their story to the community of people. They retell their story of need, what's going on, what elicited the call to God from them, the rescue that they experienced, and the thanksgiving that they now offer. And they are announcing that to the community so that the community can benefit from that. Now, I I thought it would be healthy for us not to rush beyond the feelings that we have, because some of us are still pretty set in our lament and our petition, but I also wanted to offer some of us hope beyond that. And I think that the way that we can do that is by looking at this text here in Psalm 116 and seeing what it might offer for us. So this is Psalm 116. I'm going to read the first nine verses of this psalm. Scholars have broken it up in many different ways, but a good reading would be to look at the first nine verses and to see it as the psalmist's retelling of their experience uh, and then leading into some more cultic reflections in in verses 10 and following the thanksgiving that is offered and, and what that's all about. But here I just want to focus on the story and the act of storytelling in this psalm. So I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version, and we're just going to kind of march our way through, and we're really going to focus on the first seven verses, okay? So this is verse one. It says, I love the Lord. And actually, a a better translation of this would just be, I love. The Hebrew verb there, it's an absolute. It doesn't have an object. Uh, And some people think that it doesn't have an object because it's simply unnecessary. If you love something, what you love is Yahweh. I think you could actually push back against that and say that what the psalmist is saying is, I love just anything at all. Like the the fact that I'm able to love comes because of what I'm about to tell you. Also, we should pause here and say that this verb, uh, we shouldn't attach all of the sentimentality that Americans attach to love. This is more of a commitment term. This is more of a faithful term. This is more of a, I am resolved to be with you term. So it's like, I am committed. I I love because the Lord has heard my voice and my supplications in that moment of lament. I've cried out. I've raised my hands. I've said, how long will you forget me? And the Lord has heard that because he inclined his ear to me, it says. Therefore, as a result of this, I will call on him as long as I live. So we have right here in the first couple of verses like a huge spoiler. This has been my experience And now, in light of my experience, because the Lord has heard my voice, my supplications, my crying, my protest, he inclined his ear to me, he delivered me, therefore I love. And I will call on him as long as I live. I will have faith and trust in him for as long as I live. Now remember, this is the person that has been through the lament and has come out the other side, and now they're announcing this to the community so that the community can have some faith that this might be their story too at some point, okay? And then it gets into the, the retelling of the narrative a bit more uh, 
proper in verse 3. It says, the snares, or better, the, the cords of death encompassed me. The pangs, or the restraints of Sheol, laid hold of me. Now, just to do a little bit of background work on the, the word Sheol there, this is where everyone who dies in the Old Testament goes according to uh, ancient Israel. They had no concept of hell and heaven. They just believed that when you died, you went to Sheol, which was sort of this, this lifeless, uh, emotionless, you're just sort of there and you're existing, but you're dead sort of place. Uh, and the point was for you not to go to Sheol before it was your time. Like the reason why they're saying death is encompassing me and Sheol is laying hold of me and why that's a bad thing is because they, they weren't ready for death yet. Uh, it's not like they were going to, to hell. It was like, uh, this isn't my time. And, and, the, and death was coming up to grab a hold of me and Sheol had its restraints and it was pulling me down before it was my time to go. I suffered distress and anguish. So this is the need, this is a situation. Death is invading the life of the psalmist, which is leading to their call to the Lord. In verse four, it says, then I called really in the name of the Lord. I, I evoked all of the attributes and the characteristics of Yahweh that he would be that for me now. In the midst of death creeping in and grabbing me, in the midst of my own suffering and pain, I called in the name of the Lord that the Lord would do what the Lord is supposed to do. And this is what I cried, O Lord, deliver my life. It's so terse. And it leaves so much room for our imaginations to run wild. All of this, really, I mean, death is invading in Sheol. The restraints are grabbing a hold of us and sucking us down. And that really could apply to a lot of different situations. The fear that we have now could be death invading our lives and attempting to bring us down. The, uh, the anxiety, the worry, the anger, the emotional response that we have to this. Also, the very real threat to our health that for many people that are going out into the workforce are, are facing or, or the, the very real health issues that people are having now. Like there's all sorts of different responses to, to this sort of thing and how we can fit into those uh, moments. Same with the call, oh Lord, deliver my life. Well, from what? Well, that's not the point of the psalm because it's meant to be ambiguous so that we can enter in and use this language for ourselves. The call is notably ambiguous so that it can be reapplied, which also lends credence to this idea that the psalmist, what they want us to do is to take this sort of stuff on for ourselves in the midst of our own troubles and sufferings and petitions. Verse 5, it says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is the one who does mercy. God is not just merciful. He does acts of mercy for us. The Lord protects the simple, it says. When I was brought low, he saved me. There's the rescue there. So we have the need. Death is creeping into this uh, person's life and they call out, Lord, deliver me. And then they're rescued. And now they're in the midst of the community to offer their thanks. 
for the psalmist, this story is told within a worship setting, ostensibly, or at least in a setting where others were present to hear the testimony that's being offered. And this implication is, this is my story. I want you all to hear it. And I want you to believe and trust that it can be yours too. Wherever you are, you can have this moment where you cry out and that God rescues you. And now you can come and give thanks and encourage other people to give thanks and to believe that your story can be their story. And it's just this cyclical sort of action that keeps on going within the community. We inspire each other at different moments to keep on believing and trusting and hoping. And this at the core is the beauty of community. This is the beauty of a diverse group of people. This is the beauty of plurality. Because some people within our midst right now, like I think that you can feel like the beauty of this. Like you can see like, yeah, these testimonies, these stories, if we just shared more about what was going on and the hope that comes from following Jesus and the things that we believe and the things that we know and the things that we're holding out for, if we could just share that with people through a text message or FaceTime, if we could just kind of keep, get people to keep believing, then that would be good. This is beautiful. This is meaningful. This is hopeful. This is life-giving. This is so great. And within our own community, we've got some other people that are saying, this is a huge pile of BS because that's not where I am right now. I can't believe this. Like your story, great, whatever, that's yours. You don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know where I am. You don't know what I'm going through. You can't speak to me and me hold on to that because that's your thing. And I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm kind of bitter too, but I'm happy for you and I'm glad whatever, but that's... I'm not on board. And within community, we have these different ideas, especially with regard to what's going on now. Like the conversations that I have been privileged to have with some of you, they just, they range and they're all over the place. For some of you, you're on the steps and you're kind of bordering between anger and, and sadness and you just want to walk outside and go to a coffee shop and read a book. And for others of you, you're like, you're determining to be positive and you're determining to be happy. And others of you, you're walking out into fields and you're, you're screaming because you don't know what else to do. And for others of you, you're just, you're overcome with, with anxiety and worry and fear about what might happen to you, about what might happen to your family, about all the things that you're missing. You're just so angry about that, that you're not ready to buy into the, the things that other people are feeling and thinking in this moment. Now, I was walking the dog the other day, and this is one of my household tasks that I absolutely loathe. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. As many of you know. Um, but I was appreciating being outside. And as I was walking, I was just thinking about some of the people in our community and the way that we have been doing ministry for one another. And I'm not talking about like um, cards with Bible verses on the front or you know, mailing each other coffee mugs with the, the eagle flying over the Grand Canyon with a sunset and a verse from Isaiah printed on it. I'm talking about ministry in the sense of sending those ridiculous memes to each other, uh, like encouraging people not to give up, like going and delivering orange crushes to folks on Saturday. 
Just rolling along, handing out some crushes to the people I love. Handing out some crushes to the people I love. I'm talking about you. It's almost like I'm on the beach. It's not like I've been stuck in my house for six weeks. Nah, this is good. Hi, TRP. I would like to just take a moment and say thank you, thank you, thank you for my orange crush. Um, I just sat out here and read until somebody showed up with a orange crush. You know, it's like a miracle, really. So I just wanted to say thank you. I appreciate it so much. It was a real bright spot in my day. And I love and miss you all. Cheers. Thanks, TRP. Cheers. Cheers. These are delicious. Virgin's the best. Like um, just being present and and texting people and saying, hey, you know, it's it's Thursday in case you don't know. How is everybody doing? Or hey, it's Tuesday. This might be your trash pickup day. Or hey, here's a picture of my uh, steak salad. That's not a thing. Chicken cacciatore. Here's a picture of my my dinner. Enjoy that. And people do enjoy that. And that's life-giving for them. And it's hope-filled for them. And it's just sort of like community being community. And as I'm walking the dog and thinking about all these things, I was reminded of a, a text in 2 Corinthians 8 where Paul is writing to a community of people uh, to, to raise money for a Jerusalem offering. And the way that he goes about that is saying, we've got people who have abundance and they should give out of their abundance for the people that are in need. And it's almost like he's anticipating that at some point the people in need will have an abundance and the people who have an abundance will have a need and it just becomes cyclical like this. Now that context is very different and while I'm uh, not turning away the simple acts of financial gifts that, that we're able to give to one another in this time as people are being laid off of work and furloughed and, and having financial difficulties, I also want to extend that and say that there might be, for some of us, we have, even at moments, an abundance of hope. And from that abundance of hope, we minister to the people that are in need of hope. And then a couple of days later, when you find yourself at your breaking point, maybe someone else will be in abundance and they will share their abundance of hope with you who's in need and it becomes cyclical. So TRP, as we, as we weather these storms together, um, my hope is that we will be able to give from our abundance any hope that we have whatsoever, any charity or goodwill, uh, any meme, any text, any FaceTime, any act of kindness to remind people that this is not the end of the story. And for some of us, on a Tuesday, we're the ones in abundance, and we give to those who are in need. And on a Thursday, we're the ones in need, and we're given to by those who have an abundance. And it just, it's, it's seen, 
it seems so volatile to me as to where we are. I haven't met one person yet that's just kind of been from day one of quarantine to now and they're like, totally cool, no big deal, I'm a-okay. I haven't met that person yet because there's been moments when it's just like, all right, I am feeling the weight and the pressure now. And my hope is that what we can take away from Psalm 116 is not a rushing to a thanksgiving, not a rushing to I'm totally there, not a rushing to stop saying this is BS and then begin thinking about how beautiful this is. But hopefully what we can see from 116 is we should be sharing our stories when we have them. And it doesn't have to be I was in the pit and I called out to God and God delivered me and that's the story or the testimony. It can be something else like hey, I'm still here and I love you and I just want to make sure you're okay and if there's anything I can do for you, I will will do that. And we share from our abundance of hope to the person who has need and hopefully it becomes cyclical and we all become the benefactors and the givers of hope. So I know. I know as much as I am standing in Jude's old room with a green screen behind me, I know that we're in different places. And I know that for some of you, you need to walk out into the middle of the field and scream your lungs out. And I know for some of you, you need to say, I'm gonna be positive today. And I know for some of you, you need to figure out how to recharge your batteries and to let your introverted self sort of charge back up. And I know for some of you, you need to figure out how to hug people virtually. And I know for some of you, you're wrestling with the realities of your world and you're saying all of this is BS. And I know that for some of you, you're over here saying it's beautiful and it's meaningful and hopefully I can participate in that. And I know that all of us together, we make a beautiful community and a beautiful family and a beautiful diverse body of people that can love one another and help one another, pray for one another, be present for one another. It is my deepest desire to continue to see these acts of kindness that flow from our abundance of hope as fleeting as that might be to those who have need of hope. Because as Brueggemann points out, we kind of oscillate between orientation and disorientation and reorientation. And I think for us in this moment, it might be a bit quicker than it has been in the past, where we move from I'm okay, to I'm not okay, to I'm sort of okay, to I need something, to I can give something. I hope that as we continue to figure out what this looks like, that we can begin to trust that Jesus will meet us where we are and that we can give out of our abundance of hope and that for those of us in need that we can receive the hope that is offered through Jesus Christ.